Have you always wanted to do something? Have you ever felt the passion or drive towards something and dreamed to one day achieve it, but for whatever reason you held yourself back? What if I told you that you have the ability to do whatever you want to do in life? What if I gave you the key to success? Would you take it? Or would you be too afraid of the unknown? You have to understand that every choice you have made in life led you to where you are today. Don't put it off. Your success is right here, right now, if you want it. The question I ask you is, why wait? Good morning, good morning. Happy Monday, my beautiful people. Welcome to Why Wait, inspirational and motivational podcast, helping you find success and live the best life you can one day at a time. It's your boy Danny Royce here, your host. Welcome back, folks. We had a nice long break for Labor Day. Hope you all enjoyed your long weekend. I know I did. I did a lot of self-reflection and I just relaxed really relaxed and and just took time for myself. It was amazing. Now, folks, you already know the drill. All right. First and foremost, if you love this podcast, if you find value in all the stories and all the inspiration and motivation that you're receiving here, if you find value in that, go ahead and scroll up or down and find that like, subscribe or favorite button. And go ahead and click that. That way you won't miss any episodes in the near future. Every Monday we come out, you won't miss anything, anything we have to say, folks. And while you're at it, if you feel like this will benefit others, if you feel like we've um, shared stories or a message that someone else, someone needs to hear, go ahead and share this podcast with your friends, your family, or your colleagues. Share with anyone that you feel need to hear a message on this podcast, folks. I'd like to thank you so much for your support. Thank you for tuning in. We are talking about expectations. Having expectations for yourself, for others, for your job, for school. Having expectations in life can be very detrimental. You know why? Because we can't control a lot of things that happen in our lives. You can't control how other people react. You can't control how other people take situations. You can't control what people do in life. And you, a lot of times, cannot control what happens to you. But you, the only thing you can't control is how you react to it. How you react to life throwing punches your way. How you react to life having many potholes and many bumps in the road in your journey. How are you going to react to it? Having expectations oftentimes lead to our feelings of failure. 
things don't go your way. Things are not as planned. So we give up or we move forward or we forget about our intentions altogether. And that is what my next guest, where we're going to talk about enlightenment and forgetting those expectations, living life, saying why wait and taking chances to move forward and better yourself. I'd like to thank you so much for tuning in, folks. This is why wait. Stay tuned for my guest. We got a great story up ahead. Everyone, welcome to Why Wait. It's your boy Danny Royce here. I have a very incredible guest. He is a free thinker and an artist. Everyone, please welcome Paolo Gallardo. How are you, buddy? Doing good. Good. Great to finally get you on here. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, your upbringing a little bit. And um, I know you went through a... Um, Recent transformation, hmm. so to speak. So we want to, we're going to definitely dive into that because <laughs> yeah. that is uh, that is why we're here. You know that is the reason for this podcast. Um, so let's start a little bit about your upbringing, your your family, and where you were born, where you okay. came from. Um, so I was born in Venice, California, okay. on Ruth and Seventh in the corner house. You can actually see the room I was born in if you go to the corner of Ruth and Seventh. Wow. The house is still there. Ruth and Seven, everyone. No, yeah. <laughs> Go check the house out. Go check it out. I freaked a couple out. Like, right. Um, and my parents kind of, I mean, my, they were actors growing up. Okay. So my dad was an actor on the TV show, and my mother was also an actress. Wow. So I was born here, and then we moved to Brazil and Jamaica. Oh. And we live in Jamaica. I'm not sure where in Jamaica. But we were there for about a year because my dad was filming a TV show called Going to Extremes Okay. on ABC. Bad. So I was there for a year and then my parents kind of split. And then my dad went to London. My mother stayed in Los Angeles and she was kind of going through a rough time. She was young. She was only 18. Wow. So wow. she's a baby. Really. Right. She had, she, my dad met her when he was, when she was 17. So he's a cradle robber. <laughs> <laughs> And he was wow. my, he was 26. That's so. crazy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I kind of, um, you know, she was just super young and she couldn't kind of handle me at that time. Right. Which makes sense. I was a lot to deal with. <laughs> well, not only that, I mean, you have literally a baby raising a baby. It's, wow. it's crazy thinking right. about it now. Right. And so then I moved with my dad to London at the age of like four and a half, five. Mm-hmm. We kind of, it was tough because growing up, I I was a trouble kid. Like, mm-hmm. I got kicked out of nursery for biting the teacher. Wow. I was fighting in school. I was like, it was it was a fucking disaster. Like, all the way up till 12. Wow. When I came back to LA. And I actually had to come because I was getting a lot of fights in school. In secondary school, which is high school there. Yeah. And I was, it was a rough school. It's called Quinton Kiniston which was right next to an estate, which is like project housing. Okay. So we had all the project housing kids. I didn't live in project housing, but I lived in the same neighborhoods. Okay. So my friends were always project kids. Right. Like, and then I went to the school with all the project kids. So it was just violence. Wow. Tons of violence. Um, And then we kind of, my dad was like, it's time for you to go to the States because I was heading down a road of like Mm -hmm. police 
stuff and mm-hmm. like p- pretending to be a gangster kind of shit which mm-hmm. is weirdly ingrained with English culture right and when you're young it's like oh this is what I want to do I want to talk like this and I'll be like a gangster in it right right but you realize that that's not who you are and like you you have to shimmy away from it but mm-hmm. my dad was the one that shimmied me from it okay and then I came to LA at like 12 13 okay and then I jumped straight into seventh grade went to high school still had trouble in school up until ninth tenth grade mm-hmm. um, and then actually I think my my I, I was like my parents thought I had serious learning disabilities like, mm. they took me to get tested okay I got tested for ADHD which is a, a crock of shit it's just like, <laughs> it is it literally it, is like it's yeah. just an overactive mind right be physical that's what it really is I mean, nowadays everyone has ADHD pretty much. <laughs> so, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? It's right. Like, but I, I think it's just an, an overactive mind. And exactly. That doesn't match the overactiveness. Right, right. And that's what's happening with me. Mm-hmm. So. so how was it, um, like, how was it growing up with a mother with, that was so young and and your father le- leaving, going to London? You said he was pursuing, was he pursuing acting? Yeah, he okay. was, well, no, he, he stopped at that, at that age. So okay. He kind of finished up at like 27, 28. Okay. And there's, there's some remorse in my family, with the women especially, regarding how he left and how he went. But it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's subjective. You know, right. Everyone sees it differently than right. the other based on like an emotion. So it was, you know, it, she, she was a good mom. She did well, you know, but she was a young mom. So it was like having a friend. Right, right. It was never like a mother. Okay. It was always like, hey, there's this lady that lives in the same house as me. She couldn't really control me though, because I was I was so full of testosterone and so full of like rebellion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> poor, poor woman, man. Right. <laughs> and did this rebellion, you think, um, now that you look back on it, was it because your dad leave moving? Or what did what did you have rebellion against? What was you were you were resisting? That's a good question. I think it was um so me me and my dad my dad was a he was a the rebellion for me was like I had experienced this very masculine upbringing up until that point and I didn't have it anymore. Gotcha. She didn't have I didn't have a father. Right, right. When I was in LA. So it was like I was rebelling because I was like alright I'm the man of the house now mm-hmm. and he comes into this house I'm going to get in a fight with I'm going to I was just trying to prove all right. the time and like there's a lot of anger of course of a course. of anger man I was just like and it's crazy looking back on it now so I was just really angsty angry young man and it was like I was trying to prove that I was a lot older than I thought I was right. I could handle it mm-hmm. really I, I couldn't right. and that's kind of where that kind of came from and it was it was tough mm-hmm. for a young man to kind of have a, a father you don't see really too much but then you don't have a, a male figure in your life right it's yeah. tough because yeah I'm, i can only imagine how tough it could be and mm. how it could create a lot of issues oh yeah where you i mean even like personal issues how you see yourself um and what a definition of a man is i'm sure you had you know some difficulties. So when you're you're you came in L uh, to LA when you were thirteen, you said yes. Okay. So how was it when you first got here? And how was it um, kind of meshing and grooving into the LA scene? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it was, coming from London, it was tough. Right. Um, but the thing is, the funny thing with 
moving so much as a young man mm-hmm. is that you grow that you have this this tool within your heart that you know when you walk into a room like okay who in here am I friends with right and my way of finding that was comedy mm. so I would walk into a classroom I was always the class clown <laughs> of course always you know what I mean? like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just my role right and I would come in and I'd crack a joke and the people in the class that would laugh, I'd be like, okay, you're, you're easy to, to become friends with. Okay. You, okay. You didn't laugh that much. Okay. I have to watch out for you. Maybe, yeah. you know, you're not as open as the others. Okay. What about it? You, it was this weird innate feeling uh-huh. that you have to like learn to grow. Like, okay. Survival. Right. Who can I be? Friend- okay. Social group. Okay. You, okay. You're in my social group now because mean you can laugh or, right okay you're the quiet one all right i have to take time with you because you're obviously a bit more closed off mm-hmm. which is and ironically the quiet one was my best friend for one of my high school that's that is funny it, yeah, <laughs> i was the loudest he was the quietest wow okay um yeah and you kind of just you figure it out but it's really different because the english school system with the kids that I was with it was like way more aggressive Mm-hmm. And you had to. I was always on alert, like it was a fight always going to happen. Right. And it's how now I see how kids that come from the like proper streets, how you think. You're always adrenaline pumping. Always on guard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're always thinking. Okay. How do I? Okay. Something could. There could be a fight. And like, it was so stupid. I I'd always walk around my school in London, mm-hmm. like puffing chest and shit. And I was like a skinny fucking <laughs> ten year old kid. He's like, don't underestimate me. Yeah, I was like, hey, man, I do Aikido, all right? <laughs> I can throw you across the room. And you walk around, and you kind of, like, size people up. And if anyone right. did anything to you, you'd be like, hey, man. It's, it was very, like, animalistic. Right. And they didn't have that in the L.A. system. Okay. The, the school that I went to. Okay. So the school that I was at was it's, it's an artsy school. Oh, okay. It's called Highland Hall. It was a Wardolf. Wardolf. Which is, like artsy you used to draw your own books okay got it and that drove me fucking nuts <laughs> so yeah let's touch on that why why would that why would that drive you nuts like, because i wasn't creative okay i mean i was creative but i was so there was a lot of trauma from my childhood exactly right that was kind of keeping you from excelling mm, in there okay. i don't have a creative mind yet. right i was still angry and like i was more into sports mm-hmm. fighting and uh getting in trouble Okay. Because it was like a release right. of testosterone and all this aggression. Right. So the school was like had this English kid who had come in from a public school system in another country, mm-hmm. but a somewhat more aggressive school system, and he'd come into this really artsy, all about peace and love, sort of environment. Okay. Holy shit. <laughs> You didn't, you didn't receive that well. <laughs> no, I was just like, because they didn't have sports. So right. I was like, oh, I can't. We used to have to draw our borders. We'd have, like, the, the, the rooms didn't have corners because Steiner, who's the guy who started Wardolf, right. didn't believe in, like, this kind of progressive thought. Okay. And I just didn't understand. I was like, right. this is, this is bullcrap, man. <laughs> Which it really wasn't. But I was so angry and opinionated. Right. Such a smart ass that I thought that I knew better than the people who ran this fantastic school. Right, I get that. And uh, in the long run, it was a great school mm-hmm. because I developed great, great friends. But I failed all three years. Okay. My seventh, wow. eighth, and ninth, I almost didn't make it into high school. Wow. 
Yeah. Okay, well, we're, we're going to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to touch back on mm-hmm. uh, fighting and the gym and all that. So mm-hmm. when did you get into, what What do you practice again? What so I do Muay Thai. Martial arts, Muay Thai. Yeah. Okay, so when did you get into that and, and why? So I got into Muay Thai about four or five months ago. Mm-hmm. But I've been in martial arts since I was five years old. Okay. And the first martial art I did was Aikido which is Japanese, it's more of an artistic, uh, funnily enough, right. artistic martial art. Right. It's wrist control. And my dad put me in it because he knew, I think he knew, maybe I'm wrong though, that I had all this aggression mm-hmm. and that it had to get channeled in a certain way. You know, like men, we need a channel right. for aggression. Right. It's something that we just were innately born with. Mm-hmm. Like we have to have somewhere to let go of it. Mm-hmm. So that was my my start to learning how to control certain things. Gotcha, okay. And then I was in jiu-jitsu, and then I was in, what else did I go into? Then I boxed, I've been boxing since I was 16, 17. And then I went into Muay Thai recently. The main reason being was that I kind of, if if I'm being honest with you, it was so that I could protect myself. Mm. That's the real reason. Mm. Because I would go out, and people would look at me, and you know, there's just things that certain feelings they would get oh I don't like this person Mm -hmm. or I'm very outgoing or I don't like you Mm -hmm. so I'd have to learn how to be able to protect myself and ironically before I went on my trip recently I got in a pretty big fight Mm. okay and that was something that it was me and a friend of mine really yeah it was pretty bad it was like a city it happened in Hollywood wow and we we hurt two people pretty badly two guys and it was a shame because all these years of training of learning to control the thing that lets go was the one thing that I let go of okay so it's you know Muay Thai is a it's a fantastic art it's a fantastic sport Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so dangerous right if it's used in a certain way (laughs) that's why like those karate people they're like they're like yeah we only use it when we have and you know they, they're onto something right exactly but i used it as a tool to vent anger and then also know how to fight okay you know all right um so you've also done a little modeling right oh yeah in the past yeah. <laughs> um so let's talk about that what what was your purpose for doing that and what were you trying to seek in modeling was it was there something you were trying to get out of it or was it just something you wanted to try and just see where it goes i kind of if you know it's something funny about that so i did it for eight years mm-hmm. and mm. the reason why i got into it was by chance okay um and i growing up in high school like i hated it like you couldn't get take a photo of me like i was like there's no way like i don't know no photo sort of thing <laughs> like i would hate it or make a f- silly face okay and then i was in la and I had dropped out of high school also. And I went to college, kind of dropped out of college. And I had worked in a business with my godfather and kind of ruined that. I threw a party at his house and got fired from that job. So I was like kind of 
I was working as a telemarketer in Beverly Hills mm-hmm. in the same building that Luke's does the catering. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, it's adept consumer testing. It was for the, for oh. those who don't know, uh, Luke is at a, a catering here in LA. It was actually where, where uh, Paolo and I met, grinding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'd been there 10 years before. Wow. wow. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. Yeah. And... Um, and I was working in this telemarketing place selling like some products to old people. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from an agency that I had decided to walk into because my mother was signed with them 20 years prior. And they're like, yeah, we'll take you. And, and they, they were called Click, Click Models. Mm. I think they're, yeah, they're, they're still around. Oh, they're still around. I, think, I believe so, yeah. No way. Click sounds, yeah, I believe they are. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> was it a, is it C-L-I-Q? C L I C K. Oh, okay, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and I'd done one shoot with God. What was it? It was for another man. Mm. That was the magazine with, okay. with Lindsay Wixon. Okay. And it was shot by some French guy. Well, they're all fucking French, but <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all French. <laughs> they're all French in, in fashion, right? <laughs> oh, his name was Hedy Slimane. Okay. So he was the guy that went and did the designing for Yves Saint Laurent. Wow. Yeah, okay. and he completely like switched it around. So he shot that. Wow. And then Click was like, okay, if he's shot with this guy, we're going to send you to New York. And they called me, they're like, by the way, Fashion Week, New York, two weeks, want to go? And I was like, yep. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I was like, I'm in LA, right. I'm, I have no money, I'm working as a, at, a, like, at a telemarketing right. office. My life is at the moment boring let's do it mm-hmm. and then i just flew and i flew to new york and i had a hundred less than a hundred bucks to my name i had no clothes for winter and i showed up in new york in a snowstorm mm-hmm. and i think i left november 14th november 15th mm-hmm. and i showed up and they you know they size you up and they make you sign a five-year contract and basically say, if you don't sign this, you can't go back to the model house, mm. which is blackmailing you into right. essentially doing it. What made you say, why wait? Like, I'm going to go take this risk. I'm going to do this. You know what's crazy? I was thinking about that. The car on the way over here. <laughs> it was because I, what the why wait thing was that it's like, I could, it's the whole thing of like, if I'm on my deathbed mm-hmm. and I'm talking to my 25 grandkids right. all my children that I have and I'm like hey I didn't do this mm-hmm. or I didn't decide to go and do this or I didn't do this the amount of regrets that I would have had had right. I not have done it to them would be like well what's the point exactly and they wouldn't be there mm-hmm. if I hadn't done all these things right and I've made so many mistakes and they were great mistakes uh-huh. and it was like do I go and make these mistakes and live a life that I'm like, okay, I'm proud of that. Or do I take a safe route? It's exactly. like, oh, I can stay in LA mm-hmm. with my crappy consumer testing job mm-hmm. and my motorcycle that I had, which was which was like a speeding death ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or do I go and I live this life that I could create and enjoy and it's different and right. it's adrenaline and right. I meet people and I cry and right. I, I almost die and then right. I make money and then I'm broke and then I the story that becomes something that it makes is. me the man that I am now it is definitely and it was like there was a split decision because mm-hmm. you have those two decisions that we can always make right right and one of the things that I've that I found on my trip is that we have 
the path of fear and the path of love. And if you take the path of fear, you're always going to stop yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you take the path of love, you're always going to be open to doing it. Yes. I like so that. I was like, all right, I'm going to take the path of love. I'm going to go for it. Nice. And then that's the story. That's kind of what happened. Awesome. And that's how it began. And okay. it, after that, it just didn't stop. Yeah. It was like years of just stories. The stories, yeah. It wasn't always easy. Of course. Of course, it never is. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you just got to keep going. And it was amazing. They're amazing stories. And it all started from that one phone call. Uh-huh. I wouldn't be here sitting with you had I not taken that phone call. Right. I wouldn't right. have gone to Peru. Exactly all these things wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have been addicted to drugs in Europe. Like, all these crazy things. Right. That some people that are safe would see as like, oh, no, no way. Mm-hmm. But as someone that's like, all right, adrenaline, life. Let's go. Life. Let's go. Yeah. And kind of see what happens. Exactly. You travel that road. I mean, it goes, yeah. all, it goes all ways, <laughs> potholes, everything. And but it's weird go. how it links back around. Yeah. It comes full circle mm-hmm. every time. It's weird. It's chill, gives you goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's it's incredible stuff. I mean, this is this is what life is all about. Um, yeah. Those who just sit there and just wait for things to happen, it's like okay, you just let mm-hmm. the whole world pass you by. Yeah. Um, so you 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 failed you failed high school. You said right? And oh, dude, I I was a high school dropout. Dropout. You dropped out, and yeah. then um, and then college as well. Did you go here in LA? Yeah, I went okay. to SMC. Okay, and then I was gonna transfer to UCLA on a photojournalist. Mm. And I wanted to be a war photographer. Okay. So I wanted to be the guy that was like in the. There's a really famous photo. You know the guy with, it's the it's a an African child who's like about to die and as a buzzard, right, standing like a vulture standing over. I have to look up that one. It's a Pulitzer or it's a, it's a either Pulitzer or Nobel, I think it's Pulitzer Prize maybe. Okay. And I saw that photo and I was like, this is what I want to do mm. at the time. Yeah, at the time. And yeah, I went to SMC for photojournalism, but I dropped out because I ended up working for my godfather at Los Angeles Center Studios mm-hmm. as his executive assistant. So was it just like it was another opportunity that presented itself? And okay, um, so after that, um, what happened as far as like? when you were saying you were getting into a lot of trouble as far as mm. uh, fighting and things like that. Right. So this was like later on in your life, right? In your 20, later 20s or? Yeah, like like early 20s. So yeah. so take us take us through like those events briefly, like what, what happened kind of and where you, what you learned more importantly mm. out of that situation. Out of the fighting. Yeah. Oh, that is stupid. Mm-hmm. And that like, it's just a machismo bullshit thing that we engage in there is an aspect of fighting that men we do naturally have right for like maybe protecting yourself but i was actively looking for fights Mm. and i would use alcohol as my tool Mm. and funnily enough because of the certain traumas that i'd had when i was young the alcohol was a really easy tool to be like okay here's this thing that unlocks the gates of inhibition right boom and then it was like fight time right or women the two things fighting women and alcohol finding you said finding women no well i wouldn't actually fight women but i just fighting women and alcohol oh finding women. yeah yeah gotcha yeah yeah so so how did all because you know a lot of stuff comes from our childhood alone you know it sticks with us (laughs) as long as you want to carry it it will be with you until you decide to drop it and forget it and leave it in the past so how did that affect 
uh, your relationships. Then the, your your mom, your relationship with your mom, your relationship with your dad. I mean, I'm sure it had some effects on your relationships and women. Tell us about that. Everything. It affected everything. Uh, my relationship with my mother was terrible up until recently. Mm. My relationship with my father was... Ter- we, we would fight. Mm-hmm. We would get in screaming matches. Mm. We were like... You know, he's he's a South American dude, like Latin, right? Like right, half Latin, so it's like fiery, right? Two galados, you know, firing off, and a lot of a lot of the fighting came from that childhood stuff. Mm-hmm. And my relationships with women were terrible mm-hmm. because I, you know, didn't have a good relationship with my mother, and then my relationship with my friends weren't good because I had a bad relationship with my father. Right, right, and right. it's years of just strife. And years of, I thought that was the only way to, to be. That's all I knew. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was like a coping mechanism. Right. Like right. I had a bad relationship with my mother. Okay, now I'm gonna have a bad relationship with women. Right. And the way that I treated women wasn't necessarily conducive to finding like the right me. Exactly. You know, like I'd find certain types of women, but not the ones that are ones that you want to have as a wife. Right. Or the mother of your child or. And my friends were friends that would be around me because I was class clown. I was always the clown, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd learned that from my dad. He's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would use this tool to then attract people, but they would only hang out because I was the party guy or the funny guy. Exactly. So I wasn't necessarily living in my true self. Self, right. I was a caricature of who I was. Right. And it's this image, mm, and it's like if you live in that, you become known for that. Oh yeah. And then to break out of that is like holy shit. Right. It's like people, and then when you break out of it, people are like, whoa, you kind of, you okay, man? Right. <laughs> it's like you're you change. You know, it's like, funny as you used to be. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know drinking is you know drinking twenty shots of tequila tonight. Are you okay? Like, <laughs> right. Do we have to call the ambulance? Right. So people get confused. They do when they don't recognize the behavior that they've known you for for so long. Right. And I was that guy, and all that stuff from my childhood would just branch off into these new me's. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Okay, I'm going to be funny guy today, or I'm going to be depressed today, or I'm going to be this, or today's cocaine day, or, you know, yeah, right. like all these different avenues of who I was, which I just think was a coping mechanism. Yeah, for sure. Kid. I mean, and definitely, uh, you know, just, we do these things subconsciously, you know, you, mm-hmm. you may not have even uh, was aware of who these women you were looking for, mm-hmm. but subconsciously, this is what you were drawn to, because that's all you knew. Um, mm. so that's, that's very interesting. So you mentioned, uh, addiction. So let's just yeah. touch a little bit about a little bit on that. Um, how was that time for you and how, what was, what was the, the span? Oh, dude, it was tough. Like I've always, I've always been, been a drinker. Mm-hmm. My dad was good at drinking too. Mm-hmm. We were party guys. I actually first got drunk with my father in Mexico at the age of 15, mm. which is a good, time to do it I think yeah. with your dad especially with your family yeah right it's safe and, right um, but it got really bad when I was like 20 21 mm-hmm. and I'd come to London from New York and London is a town where it's very small and people work hard and they play even harder mm. <laughs> 
pubs. <laughs> <laughs> just pubs, the nightlife, everything there is like just high octane energy. Mm-hmm. There's no outdoors. Mm. It's raining most of the time. Wow. The music's incredible. The culture's incredible. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be getting this high octane speed. Right. Ironically, that was one of the drugs that I actually love to, to snort. But it was like, you know, I was DJing too at that time. Okay. Oh, okay. So you were like oh, surrounded by that man like all the time. I was in it. And I taught myself how to sound engineer. So I was working in studios with musicians mm. that then were partying. So and my friends were all partiers and like it was all like okay you start out the night with a drink, and then you know if we're going to an event all right you pop a cup of ecstasies, mm. and then maybe a ketamine. And there were nights where I was like I'd smoked weed I drank, I'd snorted ketamine and I'd taken a pill that was cut with meth. Wow. I had four different drugs in my system at one time. Wow. And, but it was all synthesis like a self synthesis to to, to hide mm-hmm. of course, like yeah. oh here's the new york here's the here's the fun guy like right. time, time to go like right. yeah this is gonna be great and then the next day you crash and like what was i doing and right. you have a mental breakdown i had a few mental breakdowns mm-hmm. panic attacks anxiety attacks mm-hmm. which i still suffer with today but like it's like now i know where they come from right of course and i don't have them as bad as i used to but yeah, no, that was a tough, that was a really tough time because I'd broken up with a girl that I really liked. Mm. And it was one of those things where we were like, she was 19, 20, and I was 20, 21. And it was the first relationship that I'd ever like opened up. Okay. And it was vulnerable. Oh, ever. Right. Like, that I let my heart open a little bit. Mm-hmm. And at a, when it just started to get to the point when it was like, it could really become something like it really grow as a man I shut down right and I was like I gotta get away from you so that was that was interesting what what about her made you take this wall down a little bit so to speak that she uh it happened it was one moment where it really happened she was such a loving girl she was a fantastic woman like fantastic family she was an artist mm-hmm. and I remember me and my dad had been in a screaming match been in a big fight and we, me and her, I think we went, she was Jewish, we went to some synagogue events, like mm-hmm. something, something was happening. And she just like, she could tell that I was not having a great time. And we go back to a house afterwards and her parents were upstairs and I was downstairs in the kitchen and we were just kind of talking. And then like all of a sudden I just started crying, mm. like heaving crying. And I don't cry in front of people that time. I'm like crying some bitches. Right. Like, really, course. it isn't. Okay. But yeah. that time I was like, yeah, I don't cry. Fuck right. that shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Macho man. <laughs> Me no cry. Me no cry. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I start crying in front of her and she's like, she's shocked. She can believe it. She's like, oh my God. Like when she comes up and she consoles me and that was like the first time for me, with a stranger, really, that wasn't family, mm-hmm. that saw me do that and was like, it's okay. You can cry. Right. It's, okay. I can console you. It's, don't worry about it. Like, everything's going to be okay. And I was, I was like, whoa. And that really connected me to her. But that was weirdly the thing that pushed me away that from That got her. you scared. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting real connection. Run. Right. <laughs> Run. <laughs> right. Right. i got to get out. Wow. And... 
and you know it wasn't meant to be but like that was the moment that I was like I can let myself be mm-hmm. down around this person and be open and like let her know all these things about me and like tell show her who I am that I'm you know that I'm actually full of love and that like I'm a loving guy and right I'm not this angry Hulk <laughs> when he drinks you know what I mean <laughs> that's <the> right <laughs> Now that's, it's, just, it's crazy how like just the ego works because it, it constantly wants to protect you from any uncomfortableness and so when you feel that little bit of vulnerability it's like oh no okay <laughs> we gotta go run right run away <laughs> so oh, that's that's crazy um so you've got over this addiction what was it like for you to get like to get past that Oh, because it's this is very hard for some people to you know to even jump over that <laughs> obstacle. So yeah. tell us about that. It wasn't the drug that I was addicted to. It right. was the feeling from the drug. Mm-hmm. It was the serotonin kick. Mm-hmm. It was the oh, I'm a part of a social gathering. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a part of taking speed until four in the morning in a apartment in Dalston, mm-hmm. playing on CDJs. Like it, it was overcome it actually was a moment it was one moment my life's just moments right of like oh this is a change mm-hmm. and i had been doing all this drug stuff and i wasn't sleeping right i was like staying until four in the morning sleeping until one i wasn't working i was staying in my house for like two three days wasn't coming out because i was depressed from because of the drug use right my dad even had said to me he's like i don't even know who you are anymore mm-hmm. like, he said to me in the kitchen wow of his house he's like where's my son Wow. Like, what is this? And I was like, whatever, man. Uh Blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, it was like, I didn't, I never thought I was an addict. But I realized in that moment that I was highly addicted to something. Right. Or the feeling of something, or the the cocaine, the speed, the ketamine, the ecstasy, whatever it was. Um, And my dad was like, you should go to a meditation course. It's called a Vipassana. Mm-hmm. And I'd done it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. My dad was a, you know, he practiced as a monk. My grandmother was a monk in Chile, mm-hmm. okay. Buddhist monk. And wow. so it's been in the family. And I'd gone to the Vipassana for three days when I was like six or seven. And he was like, you should go. And I don't know what it was with that. Because usually it would have been like, nah, man, fuck that shit. But <laughs> something with the way he said it and at that time... And also, by the way, my mother had also was afraid because I had spoken to her when I was on drugs. Mm. And like I was in Ibiza or Berlin and I called her on the phone. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, she had seen this too. So she was probably pushing for me to go and do this course too, had she known. Right. And I go to this course and it's 10 days of silent meditation. Wow. And you don't speak to anyone. For you, 10 days. For 10 days you eat powerful oh, oh. crazy wow. you eat only vegan mm. you you have only water you don't read you don't no phone you wake up at 4am you meditate for 9 hours a day wow. and I lasted 4 days <laughs> <laughs> hey almost had yeah I was like I lost 4 days <laughs> and the reason being is that I, I never sat still that long yeah right (laughs) I've never done anything like that wow and I there was a there was a moment that I was like oh 
something's happening and I, it was like the second or third day and you're fatigued your knees hurt you have back pain because you're sitting down mm -hmm. you don't want to do it anymore and your brain weird enough comes up with ways to like escape right right this is the ego you're talking about right. right and it's like okay how do I get out I could throw a rope out the window <laughs> and get a cab down to London and then I could get on the plane and get out of here right right and I you know I wasn't strong enough at that point to ignore that voice exactly and um, I remember I was sitting and I was in a trance kind of and it was like 5, 6 in the morning because you did a 4, four to 6 a.m. meditation okay it was like optional okay but the meditation started at 6 a.m. to 8 and I'd always do the 4.30 or to 6.30 whatever the time was and there was a moment where I was like meditating in a trance and I just kind of I don't think I fell asleep but I felt like I wasn't in my body mm. Like I wasn't, but I was in it. Like, but I felt like I left the room. Mm, okay. And then all of a sudden I come back and I'm like, whoa. And I started having a serious panic attack. Wow. Like heavy panic. Like I was like, well, I have to go. I was sweating. And I was like, something's happening. I think I'm having a heart attack. I don't know what the fuck is going on. And I thought I had to leave the room. And I went to go lie down in my bed and I just fell asleep. Mm. That was my coping mechanism was like, okay, something bad's happening. Let me just shut it up. Right. But at that moment, like a change began. Like a, I think, like a chemical change in my brain started to happen. Mm. It was like, okay, right. There's something subconsciously that you're not, you know, touching on, and your body just reacted to it because you just touched on it. Right. And funny enough, after that, I was like, I can't do this right now. Like this is not the time for me to do this. So I left. But literally two months later. I was speaking to my mother and she was like, do you want to come to LA? I was like, sure. So that was the beginning of the change. Mm. That's when it started. Mm -hmm. it was like, I was like 23, 24. Okay. And that's when I was like, okay, I recognized there was something going on within me. And I knew that I had to change it, but I just didn't know. Again, that whole fear thinking, I was like, do I go, do I stay? And my dad, again, and my mom were both like, you should probably come to LA. <laughs> you know? Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Sun, yeah. beach, which is what I've always been around. I've been right. surfing since I was a kid. Go to what you know. Don't stay in a place that is, for you, dark drugs. Mm. Friends that necessarily aren't conducive to good behavior. Right. And get away from that. Right. And that after the meditation course, I was like, okay, the change really began. It was like a big wheel, like a rusty wheel that was like, <laughs> okay, like started, started turning, turning. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're you, you moved to LA and then you started living with your mom, or were you okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so recently, right, you just went on a trip. Yeah. <laughs> so we, now that we're on this the discussion of transformation and. Right. Uh, so that was a great look. Thank you for sharing that um, when it started for you. Um, what what were your thoughts about this trip that you that you went on? Was it something that you've been thinking about for a while or that you kind of shut out of your mind for a little bit? Like when did it come up for you and when did you say, okay, I'm going there? Started seven years ago. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking crazy. <laughs> it's 
started seven years ago. Okay, all right. My, my <laughs> well. dad. Um, I, I guess am I allowed to say what it was that I went to yeah. for? Yeah. So I went to go do do um, ayahuasca, mm-hmm. and that's been in my family for a long time. Mm-hmm. My father's done it. I think my mother's done it too. I don't know if my grandparents have done it, but it's it's in that lineage somewhere right. it's sitting there it's like that plant is in there ayahuasca yeah you know I mean? <laughs> love it and my dad when i was in new york sent an email and he's like by the way if you want you can do this thing called ayahuasca mm-hmm. and this was before my drug addiction okay and i'd experimented with lsd and mushrooms as a teenager right and um but i was like yeah i don't know man I don't know if I can do that. He's like, we can go do this in New York and you can do it with me and it'd be great. And there's these great people that do it. And I was like, nah, nah, whatever, whatever. I don't want to do it. And that was the beginning though. Because then after that, I knew what it was. Right. And I'd been like, oh, I missed that opportunity. And then I'd gone through my addiction. Mm. And then all these things happened. And then I became depressed. And then I had anxiety and then this. And then all of a sudden, I was in LA working working with you mm-hmm. doing all these jobs mm-hmm. hustling 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 but I had no direction mm, yeah. I didn't know where I wanted to go right and I was making five six grand a month which for me is like great money right you know I'm, I'm a minimal guy I just I surf and do Muay Thai and, you know, <laughs> and like, very simple yeah I'm <laughs> simple a simple guy. dude yeah. <laughs> I, I do have blue shoes on but that's beside the point <laughs> Nice, by the way. Apart from these, I'm not <laughs> extravagant. Thank you. That's um, the most extravagant thing. Yeah. <laughs> My, like, neon blue ridiculous shit. <laughs> um, and uh, it was just like, okay, I'm heading this direction. I don't have an idea of where I want to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know what my passion is. Right. Because of my childhood. A lot of confusion. I don't know what I want to associate myself with. And I was speaking to Tyler Ellis. I don't know if... Do you know Tyler Ellis? Yeah, I, yeah, I actually heard it. Okay, yeah, yeah. so Tyler, me and him were having a conversation. And we were playing tennis. And this was in... When was it? June? Oh, this is June. No, it was in May. May 14th, May 15th. Okay. I'm very good with dates. Of numbers, this year, so. right? Yeah, yeah I yeah, can yeah, tell. Yeah. You're calling like every date. Because <laughs> it was such a life-changing thing. Right. And me and Tyler were talking and he was like... He was trapped. He he traveled a bunch, right? Right. And I was saying how I had traveled when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't traveled. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? Right. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, you're just sitting here doing this. You could just go and just do it. Right. And I was like, yeah. This... Which is like such a typical LA thing. You're like, yeah, manana, manana. Hey, right, yeah, right. I'll, I'll tomorrow. <laughs> right, blah, right. Blah, blah. And, and then he just kind of hit me and he was like, fuck, man, like this guy's right. Like, I've just been sitting here for three years doing nothing. And I could go and be traveling and seeing the world and learning about new cultures and learning new languages and having experiences. Mm-hmm. And we talked for about an hour. And literally two minutes after he left, I bought my ticket to Peru one way. Mm, nice. Immediately. Wow. And I was like, I'm going. Like, I, he told me about an app. I bought, the, I got the app to download to buy a ticket. And I was like, let's hop up. And I was like, okay, I'm going. Okay. And that was like, oh shit, this is the beginning. Right. And then I, the change really started to happen because it was like ayahuasca works in you before you even show up. Right. She is a minx. Like she'll, <laughs> she'll work in your mind and like begin the change even before you show up. Mm-hmm. So I was healing a little bit even before I went. Right. 
And I was like talking to tons of people. I was talking to Jonah, Jonah about it and Tyler about it and my father and, you know, but I was afraid. Mm. I was really afraid. Yeah. There was so much fear around it because I'd had this really traumatic experience with drugs mm-hmm. and this really traumatic experience with hallucinogenics. Right. And I was going to the jungle with, of which I didn't know the language. Mm-hmm. To fucking take a hallucination. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, what am I doing? Right. Like, what are you doing? Right. And, but I was like, this is something, for some reason, something in my spirit was like, you have to do this. Of I don't know if it was divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Something was like, you have to go and do this. Of course. And if you don't do it, what's the point? Right. You're not living anymore. Because when I was younger, I was way, way more adventurous. Mm-hmm. As I'd gotten older, I'd gotten jaded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happens, happens. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it should be the opposite. It should be, yeah. But it should I, become more adventurous. Yeah, and like outgoing, but I'd gone back into my shell. Of course. And, um, you know, that kind of began to work on me, began to start. And then, you know, got close to the time and everything weirdly lined up perfectly. For the trip, mm-hmm. like my uh, no coincidence, no, dude. I don't believe in it. I don't <laughs> me neither anymore. It's like, like, whoa, like right. this is lining up, and oh, I had an apartment here, and oh, this worked out perfectly, and yeah, everything in LA was working out perfectly for me to go, right? And then I ended up going. Nice. But how was that experience? Because you, how long were you out there again? Seven weeks, seven weeks, yeah. so a little over. Wait, almost, almost two, two months. months. Almost two months. Mm. Uh, how was that experience for you, doing that, meeting new people, um, out everything? Just give us a little bit. It was crazy. It was wild. Like when I arrived there, I was like, okay, this is it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm jumping into it. And, but I was still like kind of a depressed, angry right. little man. Right. Of course. Well, I'm six, so I'm not that little. But yeah, you know, I, <laughs> I was just little man inside and right. angry and so I, I landed and I was still like kind of in this angsty stuff like we were still in the LA mode and the mode I'd had before and I was like alright you know and then I met uh, a good family friend called Andres and mm-hmm. he was the one that's facilitating everything everything okay he's known me and my father since he's known me since I was five six mm-hmm. you know it's 20 years 21 years mm-hmm. he's known my dad for years too but he's in that world He's in that shaman spirit world. Right. He knows all about that. Mm-hmm. So I met with him and his girlfriend. I stayed with them and landed. And the country of Peru is stunning. Mm-hmm. It's stunning. Oh, like beaches and forest. And the people are amazing. And they're open and they're loving. The food's incredible. Mm-hmm. It tastes good. <laughs> there's no GMO. Right, it's like right. real... There's vegan food there, there's, uh-huh. there's beef, there's everything. Like, right. and it's open and it's a country of love. Sometimes. <laughs> we all got, you all got our problems, right. but most of the time. Right. Yeah. But, right. but they're cool. They are really, really good people. Of course. And so I had a good experience when I landed and I was there for two days in Lima. Mm. And then I went straight to San Bartolo, mm. which is in the south. Okay. And for me, the, the theme of this trip was conquering fear. It was mm-hmm. a fear conquering trip. Nice. Everything centered around fears that I'd had mm-hmm. and the ways that I was then conquering them. So I went down to San Bartolo, which is 
uh, incredible, very quiet beach town, but it's now only becoming super developed. Mm -hmm. But it's been, you know, quiet for the last, I mean, God knows how many years. Right. And I show up and I'm staying in a surf hostel with a surf family. <laughs> super cool. Um, the guy, this one of the sons that ran it, he was like a huge big wave surfer in Peru for a long time. Mm. His father, you know, is a surfer and he's into music. And he's the father, ironically, had done ayahuasca. Oh, wow. So we had spoken about they it. They talked about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I kind of showed up and I'm just surfing, hanging out for about a day. Mm -hmm. And there's a big wave spot, point break, in this, in this town. It's, right. it's called Peñascal. Okay. And the waves get to like 20 feet there. Mm. Fucking scary. Right. That's crazy. Huge. That's and I was crazy. like, fuck. I was like, I'm not going out there. <laughs> no way. I was surfing like the six to eight foot right. break in the front. And then uh, the guy who, um, the surfer, the big wave surfer came up to me. And it's funny because surfers are a funny group of people. Mm -hmm. If you like there'll be a little bit of distance with you but once you prove yourself you're in the circle you're like okay right now you prove yourself you can you can hang now right and leading up until that I hadn't proved myself I was just a guy from California who came to surf and they were a little bit you know kind of on the fence about me they didn't know who I was mm -hmm. I was still I was kind of I'm, I'm an awkward guy sometimes I was like a little bit awkward too right. I just kind of do my own thing and he came out to me the next day and he was like hey do you want to go to surf Peñascal and I was like, what? <laughs> what? Like, what? You mean Peniascal that's like 14 feet right now? Mm. And he's like, yep. And I was like, yep, let's do it. Let's do it. And he's like, you surf stuff of this before. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, and I, I, I'd surf like eight foot waves. I'd never surf 14 foot slammers. Right. Like that. Yeah. It was like a deep underwater ocean moving wave. Right. And, but I was like, if I'm here, why not? Why not, right? Yeah. Like, I'm afraid of it. This guy is coming up to me saying I should surf it. Yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Like, I can't come. And it was just a literally ego thing, too. Of course, like, yeah. You know, like, I like, can't back down. Yeah, I, can't. <laughs> I can't say no. Right. Like, he's, come, he's challenging me. He really wasn't. Right. He was just like, you know. And I was like there, and I felt if I was to stay there, and to be like accepted by this group of people, I had to prove myself. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all right, we're going to go out this afternoon. And I was like, I just surfed for four hours that morning. Oof. And I was pooped. And I was like, yeah, great, let's do it. And so it gets closer to the time. I'm shitting my pants, right. by the way. I'm like, the waves are huge. You can see them from the point. It's big mm -hmm. waves. And a guy had died there mm. like a year prior. He had died because he'd hit his head on a, on a GoPro. Gotcha. But still, it's like, I fucking died. Dude. Right, right. <laughs> like, fuck. Um, and so, Tamil is the guy's name. His name's Tamil Mar Martino. Uh -huh. He goes, okay, come get your board. I, was, I had been surfing like a six foot four fish, which is a small board. And he gets me the gun. This is what they're called. They're boards that are built for speed. And they're built for big waves. Mm-hmm. Because you have to break the wake of the wave with this big, big board because there's so much turbulence when you right. go down this huge wave that if you don't have these boards, you'll crash. Right. 
And I'm like, holy shit, I've never surfed a gun. It's shaped literally like a bullet. Wow. Like a little fish tail at the bottom, a little swallowtail, and it was a four fin thing. Mm -hmm. Quad fin. And I was like, okay, great. Then he hands me the leash. The leash is like this thick, like two inches thick. And he's like, oh, yeah, this leash is made at Mavericks. Mavericks is a huge wave surfing spot up in Half Moon Bay. Okay. Up close to, I think it's San Luis Obispo. But people have died there. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, the energy got really heavy. I was like, right. I'm engaging in something that is potentially life-changing. The equipment for this activity is hardcore. It's heavy-duty. Right. Like, right. I was like, fuck, okay, so we're going. And he's like, right, let's go. I'm like, okay. <laughs> we get the board, we go out. You know, it's, it's about a half-mile paddle to the point. Okay. So I'm paddling, I'm paddling, I'm and the waves are big. Wow. Man. They're big. Like the, you can feel it going. <laughs> it's like heavy pounding waves. He's been surfing here his whole life. And his buddy's out there that shapes the boards that he surfs on. So there's three of us. And I'm looking at these things and they're huge. Mm-hmm. It's the size of like a, a freeway underpass. I'm just like, this is nuts. Crazy. Like I've never surfed anything like this. And I go out and I just sit on the shoulder, which is the area that you know, you don't, the waves don't come directly towards uh-huh. you. And I'm sitting on the shoulder and I'm just waiting. And he's like, all right, it's time to go. And it's one of those things where when you turn around to paddle, you, you, you don't look, right. you just go. Because you, you have to go so fast. Yeah. So fast. Ended up not getting that wave. I'm like, fuck, okay. And then I see a big one coming from outside. And I take it on the head, which means it crashes on top of me. Okay. So I took a 14 foot, 12 foot wave on the head. Damn. And it's weird because I thought that I wouldn't be able to handle the, 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 the crash. Right, the impact, yeah. And I could handle it. And oh. at that point I was like, holy shit. I've been afraid of these waves my whole life. Yeah, I just realized that I have the, the strength to hold my breath for longer than I thought. Right. And I can take the beating because I just relax when I crash. I just mm-hmm. let go. Right. And after that, I turned around, there's a big wave coming, it's probably like a 10 to 12 foot wave. And he's like, go, 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 go. And I start paddling, I start paddling, and I feel it pick me up, and I jump up, and I go down. And it's one of the fastest waves I've ever caught. My board's like slapping the wake. Mm-hmm. I'm turning, but I'm like, holy shit, I just fucking did this. Wow. I just surfed something that I've never, I've, I've seen photos of, right. and I've never done it, but I've thought about doing it. And that exact moment was when I conquered the fear of like, oh, that's all this is. Mm. I've been afraid of this feeling for this long. That's so silly. Wow. And then that whole side just caught more and more and more. And right. it became like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Peñascala <laughs> tomorrow. And the next no day it went deal. up. No big deal. Right. Next and day it went up. And you go higher and higher. More and more. Wow. That's, that's incredible. So mm. how did this experience, because, you know, in the Hawaiian culture as well, like surfing is the way of life. So how did this experience parallel to your life experience that you found out Mm. opened your eyes the fear is just this thing that is so unnecessary Mm. to listen to Mm -hmm. like what's the point of being afraid right like i could have died right so it's like but i didn't die but it's like you know fear is this thing that will just hold you back Mm. so if you can go out and surf 14 foot waves and thrive not just survive, you thrive. Mm. I can come back to LA and do whatever the hell I want. Right. 
there's nothing that will ever compare to the feeling or the fear that I had surfing that wave exactly in normal day life wow. there's nothing that compares so it's like I can conquer anything that I want to do because nothing compares right to that exactly and so it gives you this this newfound outlook of like okay well if I've done this this is easy mm-hmm. you know if I've done this or five because I surf this and I want to get my GED that's going to be easy or I right. surf that's or I want to be an actor that's going to be easy compared to this right it's like you this balance of fear and progression okay bring the fear down okay progress more right be friends with my fear mm. I'm friends with it I've sat with it mm. I've talked to it that's powerful I right? can progress a lot further than I could before because I never talked with my fear right I never had a conversation with it so so how is it coming back to you to LA from this experience you know how long have you been back Two weeks. Two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Two weeks, right? So, yeah. what's the different perspective that you see now? What's 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 changed? Coming back from Peru? Yeah. After that whole experience of ayahuasca, which I really yeah. want to do soon, and I will. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, after that whole experience, the, the surfing and what you experienced there. It's, it's wild. Um, you know, with ayahuasca, I spoke to death, and mm. I spoke to God mm. when I was there. And I'm not that kind of a guy. Never was. Right. I never talked about it. I was never a spiritual guy. It kind of makes you realize that just you have such a short amount of time and to love as much as you can and not be afraid of anything because there's no need to be afraid. Right. We're all going to die anyway. Right. Death is just this thing that I'm sort of afraid of it. Don't get me wrong, but I understand it more now. I've mm-hmm. sat with it, I've spoken with it. Mm-hmm. is that you know we have the potential to do all these things with these beings of light and we're spiritual and we're connected to one another and we we are so powerful in what we can do and right. how far we can go but the only limit that we put on ourselves is ourself right that's it's just our brain and our fear exactly and if you conquer that thing fuck you can go you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah, and that's why those guys like Gary V and blah, blah blah they're right they might be a little bit cringy right but they're, they're right dude they're like if you just go say fuck it and go for it you'll go so far literally you'll yeah. do whatever you want and that's all I've been doing is I've been coming back and I've started doing things I never thought I'd do mm. on a basic for you going into ayahuasca not having an intention not having a goal uh, worked well for you um, can you touch a little bit more about that yeah, it was so, you know, I think quite a few people that have taken ayahuasca, um, they suggest that it's good to go in w- with a goal and intention because it'll help you kind of, you know, get something out of it a bit more because you go in with, you know, uh, somewhat of a general idea of, oh, this is what I want to what I want to get out of it. And this is what will hopefully I get something that's close to that, you know, right, right. Um, and weirdly enough, I wouldn't say it's it's funny. I said that going in with an intention probably isn't the best thing, but I realized it actually kind of is because it, it gave me it. I I didn't get what I wanted. That's for damn sure. Because I was <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, you want this? Well, I'm going to give you this." But she gives you what you need. But I came in with an idea of like, "Oh, this is what I want to get." So I was. It still kept me open, you know, which is right. a good thing. Um, that's awesome 
and it kept you focused on what you want to achieve during this and then how close did you did you come to an like an enlightenment or you know different perspective perception of of life well i think i think i can float on water danny i think i can walk on water <laughs> <laughs> damn what, uh, i got to do this no <laughs> um no I, I i don't know what I don't know what enlightenment means to be honest with you. I think that like I don't I don't I'm I'm no different than than you or anyone else who hasn't done it. Mm-hmm. I just there's just things that I've seen that may be a little bit different than what you've seen or someone else has seen. But of then course. there's things that you've seen that are way different than what I've seen. Right. Um but I think that it it just it just gave me a little bit more knowledge, but then it also helped me realize that I know absolutely nothing. Mm. you know like i really i really don't right and it's a great feeling because it's like oh i don't like i used to pretend like i knew everything which is mm. weird you know like what a weird right. thing to do right right and uh when i took this this thing and it showed me like how much knowledge there is in the world and how much nature knowledge there is and how much there is I don't know. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it just, my ego was like, well, now you know nothing. So now we can start from scratch. We don't have to pretend like we know everything because really we don't. Or right. Don't. <laughs> right. I mean, none of us do. I mean, uh, I've always, my coach has always told me, you know, one of the, um, the three most <laughs> the horrible words you can utter is, I know that. And that automatically <laughs> sets you off. You know, our brains are like parachutes. They only work when they're open. And so uh, that's that's awesome that that you were um, exposed to, to that. And I would highly recommend those who can handle it, <laughs> search for, uh, you know, something like this as well. Um, so what's next? What's next for Paolo? Where what do you got going on and, and where do you see yourself, you know, taking the next steps and in, in this journey we call life? <laughs> right. I, that's a, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I think, uh, yeah, I really don't know. I think I thought I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And I, you know, I, it's, I, I can only really, speculate as to what i think i want to do but i i'm still kind of figuring figuring it out right um i mean i, I do i'm i'm way more open to anything uh that's for sure so mm-hmm. anything that comes through i'm like all right let's try it let's see where it goes right. i have a concrete plan so i'm going to go back to school you know it's like an underlying baseline um but apart from that i don't know i just i, I don't even know if i'll be in la in two weeks you know, I could be in China. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> you know, like this, like things. It's funny since I've taken it, mm-hmm. things in my life have come at me in a really fascinating and interesting way. Wow. And yeah, and like, like I've thought of something two weeks ago, and then I get an email yesterday or two days ago about, from that same company, right? And it's like, whoa, this is weird. Wow. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, it was so bizarre. So, like, I I don't know. I think I could be up at Napa Valley working at a vineyard in a month, or I could be still in LA talking to you, or we could be working together. Or I could, I might be, 
I, 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 I could become a nun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping yourself open to what life brings you. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I can have a plan, but I, I, I'm learning that it's, it's not good to try and control right. life. You know? Right. And yeah, I think that it's just all about like a thing, you know, thing, you know, your 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 podcast, the name of it, why way? It's like if something comes up, why why way? I'll just go for it, and I'll see right. where it takes me. And I'm just open at this point. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a lot of times we we just we're the ones stepping in our own way of <laughs> of doing whatever we want to do and whatever brings us happiness. So that's awesome. Um, so. Uh, we're going to close out here with Paulo. Thank you so much for uh, giving me your time here on Lightweight. Um, can you go ahead and let my listeners know where to find you um, if they want to ask you any questions about your journey, uh, about ayahuasca or anything like that? Go ahead and uh, drop your your info for them. Sweet. Yeah. My, uh, so my, my name is obviously Paulo Glado. My Instagram is probably a good place to reach me. Mm-hmm. Um, put, putting out my number on your radio show is probably a bad idea. But... No, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Don't want to so do that. Do... <laughs> so I'll just do Instagram. My Instagram is Paolo, P-A-O-L-O, underscore, followed by my last name, which is G-A-L-L-A-R-D-O. Um, yeah, and I'm always open. So, All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Paolo, for giving me your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Why wait? Go for it. (laughs) Go for your dreams. And I will be talking to you soon. Beautiful. Thanks for having me, Danny. All right. No problem. Take care.